Greetings, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Compare and Campaign. I am your host, as always, Tom Lando, and with me, as always, is my co-host and co-GM. No, man. I'm the... No, Marshall. Co- no, Co-Marshall, no. but also... Uh, wait, what? Uh, for... Oh, no, no. All right, you're gonna be... It's not the 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 guy who keeps the faces yeah it's not the face uh, merchant for low life it's the boss the boss you're the boss right of course i thought of it just as you went to say it and um yeah but face merchant would have been great because it'd be fm and people would immediately assume that the f is the f word and it's just like gm <laughs> Damn, missed opportunity. Maybe you should you should uh, use that in one of your RPGs. I was gonna say going you know, commando, but you've already got something for going commando, so never mind. But I, I'm McGill, by the yeah. way. I didn't even say my name. Oh yeah, yeah. We got all hung up on that. This is episode 144, uh, recorded on the 28th of March, 2023. Uh, man, what what to say? I mean, I guess. This has always been a, a podcast where we talk about our role-playing games that we've run in the past and whatnot, but now you don't have role-playing games from the past you're talking about. You're talking about new role-playing games that we're looking to the future in your side of things, and meanwhile, on my side of things, we have the record, man. It's on record. It's for the record. Uh it's uh, I, I have the actual text transcript from playing my game uh via facebook chat so i'm just straight up able to like read the text as it was i think it's uh, i mean i've said in the past how cool i find it that you have this transcript it's something that i've never had in any of my campaigns any record of like the actual play but uh thinking on it now i think it's also pretty cool that you have a text record you know it's not like a video recording or an audio recording which would be fun to have but it wouldn't be easy to search for information in but you were actually playing like in chat so you have the complete text record of your game i think that's pretty neat yeah it's it's good the the trick is that like that's cool to have but in order to get it you have to play by text and it's usually like i'm i i got pretty into playing by text but um it is like a tough proposition for a lot of people i find um and beyond that like in terms of in terms of video records and stuff like we had i don't know if we still have but we had a video record of our ashes against the grain game from when jess was streaming it on her twitch um, and that was cool because each new episode that we did, I was able to watch back the last episode and refer to that for like what actually stood out and everything, um, which is something that we always talk about kind of wanting as a as a GM is like, that's right. I forgot know, having, that, uh, having that that was streamed. Yeah, having that perspective of like the player as well as the dm to help you you know uh guide the uh storyline accordingly but uh yeah i mean yeah it's it, it is really cool and it's something that i really enjoy it's just like i know a lot of players would really prefer 
to like first of all most people prefer to play in person the classic and that's definitely i if i could that's what i'd be doing and then it was only like really uh i talked about in a previous episode but kind of uh the trick of like the pandemic forcing people in certain areas to like ration their internet use um in certain situations uh like it was a kind of like problem that we had to get around by playing text-based and i'm not sure if people would have been as interested in doing it if uh doing it that way if it wasn't for those conditions i mean i think you're totally right and i myself like i don't know how long i could do text-based gaming like that i tried a few times in the distant past now to do like i'd set up a forum and just run text-based rpg in there with my friends but inevitably people just like it fell by the wayside people just stopped checking it so um obviously there are limitations a- and it was brought about by unfortunate circumstances but I still think it's a pretty neat little snapshot i've definitely found that that's a problem with like uh forum-based role-playing and i've seen that like the more experienced forum-based role players have like very strict rules for like you have to check in this much like you have to post this often um but uh it's funny that you mentioned that because that was like my first role-playing game experiences like some of them i think were uh on rpol.net the like role-playing online which is just like a huge forum database for role-playing i wonder if it's still up there anyways uh yeah like that was some of my first introduction to role-playing because again i didn't know a lot of people who were down to actually get together and play anything um and uh so yeah i i'd say that like you know the chat based it's better because you get a sense that like the person is actually there but like saying that there's a real difference between like you 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 sort of break down like between players that are able to consistently pay attention to that and players that can't and like if you have a group like once it was just me my brother and Chantel uh it was like I think I was able to get it to a point where it's like there was a message coming up like every three minutes or so at like the longest um and i felt pretty good about that um but it also like having it be chat based it allows people to get distracted more easily like somebody can be like playing a video game at the same time which like if you can do it is good but uh yeah i don't know it doesn't work for everybody you definitely want your players paying attention engaged it's harder to be engaged when it's post by post yeah, but you know, sometimes uh, I'm in a game and what's happening in the game is like actually kind of boring and it would help if I was able to play Doom while <laughs> uh, that's going on because then I can be listening to what the DM's saying, but also I'm shooting zombies and then I just alt-tab and I'm like, yeah, that's w- this is what I do. I've been, I've been over here killing zombies. Boo, and I'm time. not in favor of that. <laughs> If you're in the game be in the game uh, it's our own rule be in the game be present i know i know i was i was really pushing there to see if you'd actually uh push back because uh i expected you'd be against that but 
You weren't you weren't speaking out against it. No, I was so I just, just not just not stepping on your words. <laughs> I was I was letting you uh, get enough rope to hang yourself. Before. Yeah, exactly. I was I was digging deep. So what's what's so, in store, Tom? What have we got? Man, we got a briefing for a new operation, Operation Birth and Death, uh, or is it Death and Birth? Uh, we can find out. It's birth and death. It's tricky, though, because there's a later operation called death and birth. It's tricky, tricky. But, you know, tricky operation names are good for confusing the enemy in case they get their hands on your intel. <laughs> they won't know what to make of nothing. Um, actually, before we jump into my thing, I just want to talk about something dumb. I don't know if you've got anything you've been doing or or touching on uh uh watching or anything lately i mean apparently there's D D movies out so i guess we both got that right around the corner yeah i gotta i gotta watch that thing apparently it's decent um, uh, all the reviews i've seen for it have said it's better than i expected <laughs> i think that's well, probably what we all we can hope for right well, I, I, I look forward to seeing it. Have a little it's been a while since I had a little movie experience. Um I watched a movie uh on Amazon Prime recently. Um we talked about because I've been playing that dangus ghost recon game and like I've been on a bit of oh, a right. Tom Clancy kick now because now I've been playing Rainbow Six Three. That old like playing Ghost Recon reminded me enough of that style of game that i was like oh i remember rainbow six was the last rainbow six that was like a classic tactical one and like the one i could get my hands on for like less than three dollars in the steam sale was rainbow six three so i grabbed that and uh, i've been playing that it's super hard way harder than i remember uh and the terrorists are always jump scaring me uh they're they're so they react like there's something about that game where it's like you open a door and a, a guy is just not where you expect him to be and he shoots you in the face and you're just like ah like every time i'm like oh my god uh gives me a heart attack but um so i guess i'd been on a bit of a like a, a tom clancy kick and and i guess specifically in one of my meditations i'd been like hey wait there's been all this Rainbow Six has been around for ages. It was a book, and Tom Clancy's had all his other books. You know, he's, he's the sum of all fears and stuff. He's got other movies. And I was like, did they ever make a Rainbow Six movie? So I looked it up, and it turns out they are making one. It's right around the corner from Amazon Prime. It's going to be the sequel to Amazon Prime's Without Remorse. So I watched that. And Without Remorse uh, is also based on a Tom Clancy book. It's the first book about... Uh, the John Clark character who starts Rainbow Six, uh, who in the films is played by Michael B. Jordan. So a cool, you know, change up, uh, change up the race of John Clark, make him make him a bit more interesting. And a basketball player. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> so without remorse, the movie has kind of like a Max Payne story. It's like. His pregnant wife was killed, and now he's got nothing left to lose, and he's going to kill the bad guys, whatever the cost. Um, and, like, 
I don't know. It's it's uh it's all right, I guess. It's it's probably I haven't honestly thought about the plot too much, but it does not it seems like the kind of thing where like if it was really under scrutiny, I'd be like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Like this doesn't follow. Um but in terms of like just like kind of a military action thriller, like it's it's fine, I guess. It's kind of dumb, but it's it's fine. Um, I guess the thing was, is that I was interested enough that I was like, I wonder how much of this was like actually in the book. So I looked up the synopsis for the book and, uh, like basically none of it is in, of the book is in the movie. They're, they're set in very different time periods and there are like small elements of the book that are in the movie. But I just want to say that I'm very glad that Without the Remorse, the film does not follow the events of the book because the book sounds absolutely horrible. Um, it just this John Clark guy before he joins Rainbow Six, which it should also be said, Rainbow Six is a completely different kind of book. But Without Remorse is like a Rolling Thunder style thing, only it's like. You know, it's like he's he's trying to get revenge for, like, the lady that they kidnapped and killed. And whatever. Like, John Clark in this—or or he's John Kelly in, in Without Remorse. But in the book, basically, he's this ex-Navy SEAL during, like, Vietnam who just, like— a series of women get fridged to fuel his motivation for, like, a private— war against uh crime wherever it's set um like he just keeps meeting these women and like they're drug mules or prostitutes and he's like i'm gonna get the bad guys that make you do bad things and then like he fucks up and then they get like horribly murdered and then that fuels his need for revenge. And then he, then he goes and, and kills the drug dealers and all that. And it's just like, it's it's just uh, sucks. It's miserable. And uh, so I was really glad that the movie didn't uh, do any of that. It wasn't at all like that. I mean, I didn't even know about the book, what the book was like going into the movie. Um, Do you know... Tom, uh, I, I can't remember if I've asked you this, but... Have you read any Tom Clancy novels? Like, a little bit of some. Uh, he has a really goofy one called Cyber Force. <laughs> Sounds like some G.I. Joes. But what were you going to say? No, the I was at, I just wanted to know if you'd read any Tom Clancy, since you're indulging in all these Tom Clancy things. I just remember, I remember having... The Rainbow Six book in the house at some point, but I don't know. It like I feel like maybe I started it, but I never finished it. It's like a big book, you know. Um, but the thing is, like, and I looked at the synopsis for Rainbow Six after reading the one for Without Remorse to be like, was there something I missed or like didn't remember about Rainbow Six? And like Rainbow Six isn't at all the same book. Like it's, it's very. It's very much like a series of cool tactical operations that just like uh, it, it's it's like he wrote the book for the video game. Like it's just a series of Rainbow Six levels. And then eventually the like final bad guys, the antagonists are like like 
like neo environmental terrorists who like want to spread a plague that's going to wipe out humanity for like the benefit of nature and uh so then those are the bad guys. and then they they fight those guys and like john's uh wife gets kidnapped at one taken hostage at one point um because she's a doctor because he's the doctor who was helping him to rehabilitate all these poor drug mule prostitutes that died to fuel his quest for vengeance in the previous book like it's it's wild to me the difference in tone between the two books because knowing what is supposed to have happened in the without remorse book like that guy is supposed to be the guy like briefing me in the rainbow six game mission levels and now i'm supposed to look at this guy like man you went on a whole like torture crusade in miami or something what the fuck's wrong with you uh then uh what else i guess without remorse i was gonna say you know the uh brett gelman that name seems really familiar but i can't place it i knew him as like a comedian who like was on combi bang bang and stuff but like i guess now he's like a dramatic actor because he was like he was in fleabag and now he he was a guy in without oh he's remorse. the stranger things guy oh yeah 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 he is in stranger things yeah 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 he's murray from stranger things i uh, yeah i know this guy. i know him very well from his like absurd appearances on comedy bang bang from like a decade ago and now it's so bizarre to see him playing a serious role in without remorse as a fucking guy who gets a bomb strapped to him um and uh oh yeah and i i do really appreciate that the film literally avengers style does a stinger scene where john shows up and is like i want to start a new team i'm calling it rainbow like because rainbow six literally is the avengers of counterterrorism. um that like feels really appropriate uh however i also want to say that it's really dumb that the movie suggests that John Kelly named Team Rainbow after the fact that he saw a rainbow when having a hallucination of his dead wife. And then when the guy, when he says, I want to name the Team Rainbow, the guy is like, why? And he's like, it's personal. And it's like, no, it's called Rainbow because it's a multinational task force. And so it's supposed to incorporate like all the colors of every flag. It's, it's that simple. This, it seems silly to make up a thing. Although my sister suggested maybe it's like a, a no homo thing. <laughs> like they, they actively want it to be like obvious that he's not. That, that's the other thing I, I considered is there's a recurring thing in the movie about like, uh, I'm I'm going to show them that a pawn can take out a king. And later it's like, I was wrong. A pawn can't take out a king. And like, I was thinking about it and I'm like, oh, kind of the like underlying narrative of the film is that he was a pawn that like, you know, one of those pawns that became a queen, but they can't say that <laughs> because he's the guy who started team rainbow. Like, man, they, they got a, a lot of little tricks that I got to watch out for if they're trying to play to their, you know, very uh, specific kind of audience. But Hey, I, I went into it to see Michael B. Jordan kill some people in very complicated ways. And uh, it didn't it didn't 
it was fine. It was it wasn't extraction. I didn't like it as much as extraction. Like I think when I saw extraction, I came on and was just like, that was kick ass. It was like a Jay Alliance movie. But this was like it was all right. Um, I don't think the plot really holds up under scrutiny, though I haven't subjected it to too much. Um, I like its willingness to like up the stakes. Like, uh, you know, anytime there's a sniper, there's going to be another sniper (laughs) and then there's going to be another sniper. (laughs) So better watch out. You never, if if you think you've handled things in a scene by dealing with one sniper, you're in for a surprise, buddy, which is just like the Rainbow Six. Sniper on a sniper. that's yeah. That's my uh, review of Without Remorse. I think <laughs> noted. Uh, probably not going to watch that. That's on Amazon. You said definitely don't read it. Uh, yeah, it's on Amazon. Amazon I is really cornering the market for like dad entertainment. You know what I mean? Well, it's all technically part of the Jack Ryan verse, mm-hmm. which I think is funny because uh, to me it's. It's the rainbow. Is that is that Chris Pratt one also a part of the Jack Ryan verse? Uh, I don't know which one is it. Uh, which one do you mean? Do you know? What it's uh, called? No, I'll look it up. Yeah, I, I don't even know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's that's without remorse. Um, and then yeah, the, the I th- terminal I think list. Just- the terminal list is it a tom clancy anyways we can only hope that one day we i i'm hoping that the rainbow six uh movie is good that would be cool like i would love for it to just be like you know what all it has to be is like the mortal combat of like tactical military movies like if it's like the mortal combat to extraction then i'm happy and uh, if we continue on to get like some some ghost recon out of that, and maybe not have it be horrible like Wildlands, then maybe it'd be good. I don't know. Uh, the terminalist is by Jack Carr, who seems like a real a real Tom Clancy competitor here with his with these books. He doesn't have to compete. The guy's dead. I mean, uh, I and, mean, do and, fantasy writers compete with Tolkien? I don't know, but they might compete with. Uh, Tolkien's profitability because even though Tom Clancy's dead still big money as we can see yeah yeah um like I don't know if I said this on the podcast but having played Shadow of Mordor and Tom Clancy's Wildlands like as my two games in a row on Game Pass I realized that I've played two games in a row that like are impressive but seem to be powered by the spinning of spinning in the grave of the author they're associated with because like shadow of mordor is so like polar opposite to the value yeah. espoused by tolkien's writing and yet it's like a really impressive game and then like wildland seems to like simulate this incredible landscape of bolivia and then like it's just even Tom Clancy wouldn't write something this dumb. I, I, I've i read the synopsis for Without Remorse, and I still don't think Tom Clancy would write something that dumb. So do we want to check the record? Yeah, let's dive into your archive. All right, so we gather the party up together. Like I said, it's my brother and Chantel. My brother is playing uh, uh, Hexaquila Calavera. 
and uh, Connor Bloomheart, Hexkeela Calavera being the Lizard Man fighter, uh, also with some classes in Barbarian, and uh, he's got a laser pistol. He's a bit of a gunslinger. We got some art of him up up there, and we've also got uh, Connor Bloomheart is a half orc. Uh, cleric of Palor, always bringing the light of his sun god to far off places in the dark. And uh, then Chantel is playing Gent, a uh, gender neutral uh, Kenku uh, rogue, thief rogue. That, uh, you know, in, in this setting, we Kenku is just a subspecies of a larger umbrella species for bird people called avians. So technically, she's a magpie avian but they are a magpie avian i always misgender them always correcting myself with that one so i gather him up and i say about a month later you're all contacted by coyote to inform you that your services are needed in agalock once again you're asked to assemble for a briefing at omega base and I established that the downtime we covered last session, so last episode, that covered a month. They've just had a month of downtime, and now they're being called back. Upon their arrival, they are struck by how different the base has become since they last visited. The base is not necessarily crowded, but is significantly more active. Moreover, one can make no mistake upon brief observation that the Draelic army has taken the reins here, as Coyote implied when they last spoke. The red cloaks of the Draelic army can be seen moving from place to place all over, along with personnel delivering critical supplies to and from the base. They move between groups of soldiers as they head toward the briefing room, which remains in its place on the base despite much of the MPOC operations being moved to their own offices on site. This largely symbolic gesture suggests the military's close cooperation with the MPOC on the basis of coordinating intelligence. This is all, this even sounds like Tom Clancy stuff. Coordinating intelligence. <laughs> uh, upon entering the briefing room, you find it much as it has always been, apart from a couple of details. Firstly, minor signs of disarray suggest that the room has seen recent, if not consistent, use, with little time afforded to reorganizing between meetings. Secondly, the wall between H Coyote at the end of the table is now covered by a map of Agalok. The map's general shape reminds Hex of the one provided by Vin, as we covered in last episode. There are clearly a number of notes and details that have been added as scouting reports reach the base. Coyote gives them each a smile and a polite wave that almost approximates a salute upon their arrival. He seems to be in good spirits, despite obviously having a lot on his plate. Greetings, agent, he says. I hope you all enjoyed your time off. And uh, Chantel says, I would like to think that Jed has a carry-on suitcase behind them with wheels and stickers on it from the places they have been to and a wide-brimmed hat. Oh, I like that. With practiced ease, Coyote slides a dossier to each of you from a thin stack on his end of the table. On each dossier, the heading reads, Operation Birth and Death. Inside are summaries of countless scouting reports from the past month, accompanied by a plethora of relevant maps. Some of these maps seem to detail more than merely the Forest of Agalok, suggesting progress has been made regarding the mysterious kingdom hidden within. Uh... Gent looks like a tourist. Hex says uh, he comes up in a Hawaiian shirt and sunglasses. Connor is in his usual getup. Damn, everybody's back from summer break. One month off and they went with it. Alex says, or, or Hex says, the meat things in the city think this makes me look more approachable. Coyote shrugs. They're not wrong. 
Chantel asks, in the files they give us about the Lost Kingdom, is there any more information on those humans that were giving everyone trouble? And I said, I'll let Coyote answer that. Also, uh, Alex said, yeah, and how much do we got on these Myconids? Did the Shroom Queen ever reestablish contact? This is, I want to go on a little tangent. You know Nanalan? Yeah, that's that puppet show, the puppet, little green little girl. The little goblin yeah. girl. Do you ever see the one where she's uh, showing the dog the different uh, items in the garden? It's become like a meme. No. Because <laughs> she points to all the vegetables and literally everyone, everyone she names is just gibberish. So, like, she, the meme is that she p- points to pea pods and says, that's a peepo. And people, like, play it in, like, uh, uh, slow motion and stuff i I don't entirely get it (laughs) but my favorite is when she points to the mushrooms and says shoosh (laughs) what about shoosh 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 is mushrooms instead of shrooms just shoosh sure that's a bunch of shoosh right there i love it shoosh as you can see we've been quite busy over here the past month uh or quite busy here over the past month Unfortunately, I must warn you not to get too comfortable, as you'll be headed over to the MPOC offices shortly. In the meantime, allow me to get you up to speed on what we know. Coyote turns and begins pointing to spots on the map behind him that correspond to the points he's, mar- he's making. So the Kingdom of Agalok. It's about a day's journey into the forest, meaning that each agent we send that way is gone for a minimum of 48 hours. Due to the forest enchantments preventing teleportation and the need to maintain stealth when observing the kingdom preventing us from deploying aircraft, this difficulty remains in effect and will naturally have a bearing on your options when approaching this op. As far as we can tell, the kingdom is effectively divided between two major settlements that are more or less adjacent. The primary of these is known as the Mantle. This is where the upper class lives, along with a prominent merchant presence and, somewhat surprisingly, a church. Coyote draws his finger from the mantle to the neighboring point on the map. The other major settlement is currently called Ashgrain Outpost. This is actually something that bore some similarity to the old or egglock map we received from the Arctopus. It seems this has always been the breadbasket of the forest, as it were, but sometime since that old map was drawn up, the place has been transformed into something of a massive work camp. Naturally, this is where one finds any citizens that fall short of the mantle's upper-class standards. In addition, we've observed a massive slave population consisting of non-human laborers in Ashgrain Outpost, fitting our intel that the kingdom is a human separatist in nature. Uh, Connor asks, what fell god do these people worship? The reports haven't quite been able to determine. It seems the city is in a bit of a state of upheaval, possibly due to the withdrawal of Nightside Eclipse support from Drail. We suspect some kind of forest deity, possibly connected to Agalok, but it might be something more connected to the ideals of the kingdom, whatever they may be. Coyote indicates a smaller map of passages which can be found in each of their dossiers. Lucky for us, the Mandel's development includes a sewer system, which allows us to smuggle agents into the city undercover. We've established an entry point outside the city near one of the drain pipes out in the forest. And uh, Jen asks, what is our objective once we're inside the city? Coyote clears his throat. I won't lie to you, this is a high-risk assignment, and we've called you back because it requires our most capable agents. We've already lost content with one of our undercover agents, human, naturally. 
We uh, believe our window is closing to strike with the element of surprise. As a result, we've elected to send you in on a final intel mission before we make our first move against the leadership in the mantle. We need you to get in there, get the information we need to plan that move, and get out without alerting that leadership to our activities. Says so a little note there. He says human naturally for their undercover agents uh, that they lost contact with because it's a human supremacist city. If you're going to have an undercover agent, they better be human. I figured it was something like that. Yeah, I thought I'd just explain. Uh, stealth mission. Got it. Hex eyes Connor warily. Counter had the low dexterity. It was always fuck fucking up his stealth checks. Chantel, I laughed at that. Um, I also said, as for our new Mykonid allies, we've received consistent up-to-date scouting reports from Issa over the past month. She certainly seems to have eyes and ears all over the forest. Saved us a lot of work in charting out the south coast, even if potential animosity from the other Mykonid colony presents us, prevents us from considering it fully under our control. We have people working closely with our agents in the field that will be able to provide your team with the specifics. Key opportunities, possible dangers, etc. Check in at the MPOC offices on base and they'll fill you in. And finally, Coyote begins to carefully retrieve small, three small packets from his pockets. He passes one to each of the players. While the labs are not quite done with their work, we thought it prudent to supply you each with one small, untreated brain cap. Consuming one can completely undo any amount of advanced or magical mental illness. As I believe you've been warned, however, eating more than one can actually exacerbate such conditions. So be careful. Any questions? And, uh, Gent, on the note of, uh, potential animosity from King Cap's side of the Mykonid colony, um, says, uh, yeah, we might want to steer clear of those other shroom boys. Coyote nods. That was my thinking, based on your reports. They each get plus one brain cap. Uh, Alex says, out of character, I guess maybe we didn't need to steal one for Vin then. Um, Gent says, I would like to do a quick scan around the room and see if I notice anything written down in the notes, maps, and scattered pages that Gent would find interesting without anyone noticing. So I had them roll uh, investigation. They got a 17. You get a sense that the Draelic army is establishing a perimeter around the forest as best they can. They're likely in the process of establishing a forward base. Right now, they don't seem to have much more than a string of camps not much bigger than the outpost you visited previously with the inn and the garage. Uh, either Hex or Connor then says, Have we gotten into any skirmishes with Agalachian forces? Do we have any idea of their force organization or their fighting style? I believe there are field agents currently stationed at the MPOC office on base that can speak to those details better than I can. So far, as all, so far, all I know is that we've kept things quiet up until we lost contact with an agent. I would be on my toes if I were you. Understood. Gent uh, says, how are you doing? Attempts to build per personal rapport. Uh, I believe we've observed a sort of military presence within the city. Again, the city seems to be in a bit of a tense state, so it's unclear how normal that is. Me? He smiles and sighs. Ah, well, thanks for the asking. I'm all right. I think I'm starting to understand the weight this job became for Al Samasath. Can't imagine taking this all on, uh, taking all this on my own like he did. And everyone may roll insight. Gent rolled a nat one, and uh, Chantel said Gent actually didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> Hex got a 23, Connor got an 18. 
Um, I said, also, just to review player questions, update on humans. That's the whole focus of this mission. Queen Issa and Mykonid allies providing advanced recon intel. Egglockian forces unknown. Local militia not necessarily on alert, but on edge. Uh, Hex gets the sense that something is worrying Coyote that he is holding back. Seems to be something he can glance at on the map. Um, Alex says, I guess my last question is it a human militia or are they using night goblins to do their dirty work? Human militia from what Coyote understands. Connor offers him a fine Deathlands Cohiba double star. Take some time for yourself, friend. We'll handle the hard stuff. Coyote takes it gra graciously and smiles saying, yeah, that's what we're all counting on. Well, it's been a month. I imagine Al has some new wonder to show us. Have yourself a fine day. Good luck, Coyote salutes as they head out. Are they heading to the MPOC office next or the armory or labs? And they said, probably office to get intel. Coyote said we had to go to the office. My bad. That's Alex is being like, oh, we can't go straight to see Alice Amistath. Uh, and I said, yeah, that's what I was wondering. Uh, <laughs> Jen said, oh, we're just keeping Coyote on his toes. And uh, the next scene goes down at the uh, Omega Base MPOC office. But do we want to jump over to your side of the episode before we continue with that? Or do you have questions or, or any comments on this scene so far? Uh, I, I was going to say, actually, I thought that was a nice little wholesome interaction. Uh, everybody seemed pretty chipper. Uh, even Gent made an effort to, uh, to socialize, regardless of whether or not they cared. Yeah, I think, like, the, that's kind of the ideal tone you want for, like, the G.I. Joe RPG, from what I can tell as well. Like, you sort of, if you do, like, a, you, you don't have to do a scene of, like, requisitioning items. But if you do do the scene where the characters go down to the armory and stuff, you can have a bit of banter between yeah. the characters and the NPCs and whatnot. Yeah, I like that. And, like... Yeah, I think I think it's a good representation of like this is probably a, a reason why I was so fond of like doing the text bases. Like it shows that like I was really at the point that I wanted to be at with the MPOC vibe of things, where like the briefing really feels like a briefing like you would get in like Rainbow Six or something like that. Um and uh then in, in addition to that, like it's not like I just send the players to that scene and then dump exposition on them. Like they also interact with it. Um, and that's like ideally what I want that scene to be. So, so really like I'm in a good place with the RPG at this point. Uh, let's check in with the character that we are building for you in low life based on the savage world system. Uh, Crawley, the, the oldster crouch. And uh, my, with the help of my sister, we came up with a new detail of this character's background. Uh, so the Crawley figure for Creepy Freaks, um, I've mentioned he has, like, in two of his hands, he's holding one of those, like, uh, one of those, like, push-operated bug spray things that you see in, like, old cartoons, you know? Oh, yeah, the, the, you know with what the pump. Sort of like a yeah, rifle-shaped yeah, yeah. thing with a big, long pump. Yeah. And then, so he's got that that he's holding in two of his lower hands. And then one of his upper hands is holding a uh, a rolled-up newspaper. And one is holding a fly swatter. 
and I was almost thinking like maybe I should be playing more like the militia uh class or something like that but then it occurred to me that maybe this thing like maybe crawley's thing is that he's an older who's on like this crusade he's an oldster who's on this crusade to establish that like croaches were the first to rise from the flush but what he doesn't realize and is like not literate enough to fathom uh is that the interior of the newspaper that he has rolled up to use as a weapon literally has an article about a swarm of hypersentient cockroaches taking over <laughs> that like is the proof of croach supremacy that he has been looking for but he just uses that newspaper as a weapon and never catches I love them. that I think that's perfect and that uh, that even that fits perfectly with the flavor of uh, low life as well very uh, in tone. So next we got to do your traits. And uh, here, let me just do a, a quick little little recap of how this works. Um, so once you've chosen a race, now you select your character's attributes and skills. Uh, the skills that you're working with, uh, or sorry, the attributes that you're working with are agility, smarts, spirit, strength, and vigor, unless otherwise specified in your racial description. And it looks like croaches get all of that, right? I didn't see any, uh, any restrictions there. I don't think so. Uh, should I have the rules in front of me? Uh, you should have a character sheet in front of you. Okay, so... Crawley... All right, and description, we'll say Crawley is a crouch obsessed with, uh, is a cantankerous. Oh, are you going to try to alliterate the whole crouch. thing? Crawley Crouch is a no, cantankerous I, I felt... curmudgeon. I just... I just thought it was uh, appropriate to have that level of uh, alliteration. Crawley is a cantankerous croach obsessed with proving the original supremacy of the croach species following the flush. Uh, and then what do we got next? Uh, so, so you said our next thing is attributes. That's right. Agility, smarts, spirit, strength, and vigor. And you automatically get one point in each. So you have a, at least a D4 in each of your attributes. And then on top of that, you get five points to distribute among them as you choose. Raising an attribute one dive type costs one point. No attribute may be raised above a d12 unless specified in the racial description. So, but it's max d12 for croaches. So, uh, what what are I have? It's point by right. That's right. Uh, so you have five. You have one point in each, and then you have five points to distribute among your attributes, and you can't go above a d12. Oh man, so I could just go d6 for all of them? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you could. Interesting. Um, let's say we go... I have five points, you say? 
Correct. And do I get any bonus for being a crouch? The crouch bonuses. I was just looking at these. Here we go. So, um, doesn't say anything. You get a plus one toughness bonus. Mm, that's lower. That's not covered by this. That's lower. But nothing in my attributes then? No. Okay. Penalties for bad lighting are halved. You get plus one to toughness. You have four arms and two legs. And you're able to digest and derive nutritive sustenance from any non-poisonous organic matter. You can just eat anything that isn't poisonous. I like that. Um, I think I'm just going to go D6s all around. Nice and balanced. Hopefully that treats me okay in this game. And now you'll want to pull up um, your rules here because next we're doing skills. Uh, Oith's bounty just keeps on providing. This time it's in the form of 15 points with which you may purchase and raise your skills. To raise a skill by a die type costs one point, as long as it's no higher than its linked attribute. So it costs two points per die type to raise a skill over its linked attribute. Do you understand how that works? Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a bit like, uh, like class skills, right? So where do I find the skills? So, um, you can find the base Savage Worlds skills on the character creation flowchart on page 9. In the box that says skills, it says, you know, these following skills are available in low life. Boating, climbing, driving, fighting, gambling, guts, healing, intimidation, investigation, so on. And then... In addition, there are a handful of new skills specific to low life that aren't derived from savage, the, the base Savage Worlds pool, and they are on page 31. So page 9 and page 31 of the rulebook will tell you all the skills. Okay. Um... Oh, and I should, uh, let me find you, a, while you look at them, I'll find you a list of the linked attributes for the Savage Worlds ones. And so the new skills... Uh... Let me see here. Wh which page are they? 31 are the new skills. Right. So we have contamination, dementalism, holy rolling, hocus poking, smell casting, and weirdness. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And... But then on page nine, there are also skills from the base yeah. rule set and i'm trying to find a list that tells me the linked attributes to those okay well i don't think i'm gonna want any points in boating uh i'm definitely gonna want at least one point in fighting so let's let's say uh fighting they we start at a d4 right yes not like uh, G.I. Joe words, D2, Essence 20. By the way, Essence 20, they've released a new supplement for Power Rangers that seems to... Or it's... Uh, I, I'm almost not sure. I think that it's Power Rangers. It might be um, My Little Pony, but it's it's got like evil origin options. And the My Little Pony is out now. 
talking about Essence 20. <laughs> Man, still still can't believe the crossover potential of My Little Pony and G.I. Joe. So we put fighting D4 at least um, guts I feel like we I'd have guts Crawley would have guts so we'll put a point in that uh, healing yeah let's let's give him a point of healing uh, it's funny I just realized I spent all this time looking up the link to tributes but it doesn't matter because you evenly distributed your oh, points. Oh yeah. So you just can't raise any of you can't raise any of your skills above a d6 uh, without spending two points to Fair raise it enough. above a d6. I think I'll take intimidation. Uh, investigation. Yeah, I'll take that. So that's five. Uh, knowledge lockpicking. Notice, persuasion, repair. I want all of those, man. So that's another five right there. Okay. I'm starting to reconsider some of these. What? What is Guts? So Guts is like uh, resisting against fear, mm. essentially. Fear... Mental wounds, fear levels, right, things I'm like that. I'm gonna take out guts. Then I'm not gonna take guts. I'm gonna take. Uh, you just liked it because it was the word kind of, guts. Uh, it seemed appropriate for a you know for a cockroach to have for a croach to have guts. Um, take it out, and I'll, instead I'll take survival taunt, and I think holy rolling. Because I want to take at least one of the special ones. I see that. And I'll, let me read off these new skills. So, contamination, uh, harness and control the energies of waste and filth, dementalism, uh, brainy UFOs perform feats of amazement with the power of their minds, uh, holy rolling, uh, channel divine energies granted by their deity or self delusion into magical spells and powers. Uh, hocus poking, wonder working skill of the hocus poker, uh, smell casting. Uh, smell casters use this skill. <laughs> uh, weirdness with the skill to harness the smell elemental oh, essence of the oif. So I, you know, we we haven't actually really touched upon it yet, but clearly this is the difference between hocus poking and smell casting. Hocus poking is like magic, and smell casting is like elemental like control specifically magic. um weirdness yeah uh create all sorts of crazy thingamajigs mabobs wingles who's what's and doohickeys Ooh, this skill is used in conduction with the arcane background weirdo edge okay so these all take a special edge and you know what then i think i'm just yeah. gonna stick to regulars then because i don't know if i'm gonna take an edge right like, may, do I get uh, maybe a dice in one of these if I take an edge? You get points for taking hindrances, and then you use those points to take edges. So the f for, first we take your hindrances to determine 
what you can get as far as edges go. But the edges don't seem to inherently give me a point. Uh, but a lot of them require something called novice. What is novice? Oh, novice is your rank. Sorry, novice is your rank. Got one. I'm novice. All right, I got it. You're a novice. And so the purpose of having novice as a requirement for those edges is to make it clear that those are beginning edges. Edges for the start. All of the right, game. then I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of put myself out there and put one point in holy rolling, uh, not knowing really how it's gonna pan out, but with the assumption that I'm gonna take the holy roller edge. So, uh, so far I've got. Name, Crawley, race, Croach, rank, novice, description. Crawley is a cantankerous Croach obsessed with proving the original supremacy of the Croach species following the flush. Uh, all his uh, attributes are D6, and all the skills he has are D4s, which are fighting, healing, intimidation, investigation, knowledge, lockpicking, notice, persuasion, repair, shooting, stealth, streetwise survival, taunt, and holy rolling. Right on. I mean, this all looks this all looks good to me. Okay. Yeah, that looks good to me. So I think that means we're ready to. You've got your skills, which means we are ready to now talk about languages. So why don't we do languages, and then we can hop back into your campaign, and then we can wrap up the last bit of this. So languages. Oith, being the huge place that it is, is home to a massive variety of languages, dialects, and vernaculars. By far the most widespread language is the ordinary tongue, an almost universal trade language spoken since the time of the human race. All players are assumed to have a D6 in knowledge, ordinary tongue. You can speak, read, and write the language unless you take the illiterate hindrance. Other popular oh, languages include... I definitely include... do want to take the illiterate uh, hindrance, but anyway. <laughs> uh, knowledge, okay. ordinary, We will get D6. to it. Okay. Yep. And then other popular languages include Agogian, Puke, Jive, Ebonic, Scat, Stanular, Eugenese, Guttermouth, Twink, Borlo, Poorly dubbed Japanese and Esperanto. Um, Wowzers. So I'm noticing. So I just did knowledge, ordinary tongue. And that makes me think that knowledge is like knowledge in Pathfinder or whatever, where you like assign it. Like it's a specific knowledge when you take it. I just took D4 yeah. in knowledge. So maybe I'll put that in like history later or something. But like whatever. Yeah, we can we can define that yeah. as we go along. Assuming it's not just general knowledge, which is what I took it for. Some of these languages are kind of yeah. awkward. Uh, sorry, can I? Where where are you <laughs> finding these? I need to look at these because some of these. These are back on the, our character creation flowchart on page nine. I don't want to make you have to read those out again. Um, yep, yep, yep. Languages. Uh, twink. What is Twink? I might speak Twink. They don't give you a lot of descriptions in here. I will say, you know, this is something that uh, that we often discuss when talking about the RPGs we explore in the Danger Room. But uh, more and more, I'm finding that Low Life does not feel like a self-contained product. 
Like, I don't think you can just do it with the low-life source book. You definitely need some other Savage World source book to uh, help guide you along. Because I find myself looking up all sorts of things and then also discovering that certain things from low-life, like the professions, they don't even seem to really affect the game. They're just there for flavor Man, purposes. I just realized, uh, did you see there's a riddle at the bottom character creation? What looks like a hork, but is not uh, a what of the uh... A picture of a hork. <laughs> um, there's a ton of stuff uh, at the bottom in the, like, footnotes. Um, but, oh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I just wish that I could, like... There is there is no expanded description that I can find on any yeah, of these I languages. I wish that I could, like, control F them, but I can't, so... I'm just looking like, I don't know, man, this, it really seems like, uh, like they're just sort of shooting just us some ideas, like just giving us ideas. Exactly. Um, and yeah, as I said, some of these are a little problematic. I do though, I do kind of like the idea of a race that speaks in poorly dubbed Japanese. So like, they're really they're speaking English, but their lips don't match up to yeah. how it sounds. I kind of like that um, idea. And es Esperanto is a funny course. inclusion. Um, I yeah, I don't know, but it's not like it. It also doesn't give me points to spend. It doesn't or even matter. So like, it's all just kind of like, whatever. It's I guess you as. I guess you could take more of them if you anticipate your your boss. Uh, sending you to the the famous Borlo colony. I guess, colony. like, but but even then, I would have to take some of my like, if knowledge, if knowledge ordinary tongue is a, uh, it's a skill. A then skill. theoretically, the other ones are skills as well. Meaning that, like, I would have to take a point of skill and put it into twink. Yep. I guess you would. Puzzling. It's it's a uh, it's puzzling. It seems unnecessary. Well, they just want you to know there's all those languages. <laughs> they just wanted to write something funny there. So, all right, let's check back in with Kaiju's right. Ages. The Omega Base Empok office is just a couple of minutes away from the briefing room, allowing them to get there shortly after Coyote has finished briefing them. Inside, they find a number of personnel, a few of them familiar, all quietly focused on their work. The quiet, punctuated by the scribbling of quills and the hurried footsteps of personnel moving to and fro with key intel, is a stark departure from the larger buzz of the base. The few faces you recognize include Sue Robfling, your flight instructor, influctor, uh, flight instructor and Greasel, who is currently away from both Spoot and his teleporter station. Sue appears to be working on some kind of chart on the wall, while Greasel stands to the side speaking with a goblin who seems familiar to Connor and Hex. Uh, Hex Kayla says, Sue, long time no see. How have you been? Sue turns from the chart and smiles. Oh, hi, Hex. We've been expecting you. I assume you're here for the latest from the front. Hex and Connor should roll insight. Hex gets a nat 1. Connor gets an 18. Connor recognizes the familiar goblin as being one of the... Michelson question mark clan of goblins that you dealt with when running the caravan. 
two members of the clan were revealed to be night goblin loyalists and turned on your party. This is not one of the bad ones, obviously, but since all their names were like Mike or Mike or Michael or Mickle, it's really hard to remember his exact name. Connor will throw out a tentative. <laughs> I oh, remember hey, those good guys. Good to see you again, Mikkel. Hey, you remembered. It's good to see you guys too, man. Unbelievable <laughs> that he... The only thing wrong is that he said Mickle with two L's, which it is Mickle with one L. But he did... Since we are playing by text, I, it really was... He was on the spot to spell it correctly. And he, by coincidence, or like just by sheer luck, uh, managed to write M-I-K-E-L, which is what I had in my notes... Um, he just added an extra L, but it's it's close enough, I ruled. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a surplus of time here, Sue says, glancing back to the chart. Ah, right, please continue. I suppose you can begin, Mike Mickle, as Sue offers the floor to the goblin scout, who hesitantly clears his throat before explaining. Right, I was part of the last pair of agents to exfiltrate the, from the mantle. That is, I exfiltrated. The other guy never got out. Sue continues. We continued to receive we continued to receive communications past Mike Mickle's return to base, implying that the agent had found some way to keep their head above water, but that changed within the last forty eight hours. We don't have the details on what happened. Sue turns around and gestures to the chart. We've mapped out a timeline based on the intel we received in the last communications from our agent. We've managed to get one lucky break from this, but she looks to where the chart should continue. At a certain point, there is no intel. Who was this other agent? Asks Hex. Sue points to a specific section of the chart. In three nights, the upper class of the mantle will be taking part in a grand masquerade ball. This gives you just enough time to infiltrate. As you can see, beyond this point, we have minimal information regarding events and movements of force planned within the city. Uh, the agent was a human named Ska. Mikkel says solemnly in response to Hex. Greasel speaks up. The plan is for you guys to use this masquerade as cover to get a solid infiltration going. Get access to the schedule of the highest authorities possible and get out and get back to us with that intel. Uh, on that note, the highest authority we've been able to deduce within the hierarchy of leadership in the upper class is a man by the name of Lord Dio, Sue adds. And Gent says, I love a good party. Uh, I have a list of other names that could be useful, Sue says, looking to the chart and running her finger along one side. Uh, Chantel asks, do we have an image of this Dio? Unfortunately not. All our communications have been via sending. All we can tell you to look for are nobles. Connor has prepared spells for a party, apparently. That's what he said. Man, see, see if I... If this was me, if I was running this game, the big sort of jokey twist would be that when they meet Dio, it's a picture of Ronnie James Dio. I mean, no, no, it was just an old guy with white hair and all that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I went with uh, Dio. Dio's the bad guy in uh, JoJo's. It seemed, like, appropriate for Lord Dio to be, like, the evil lord of the human supremacists in Agalog. Hey, and the in the character in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure was named for Ronnie James Dio. Yeah, it all exactly. comes full circle. Like it's it's not it's not like I wasn't leaning into that. Um, it was just like not explicit, I guess. Uh, man, I also like I think just in general, like this whole setup, like uh, 
We got to use this masquerade as cover to get a solid infiltration going, get access to the schedule of the highest authorities possible, get out and get back to us with the intel. That's like a Ghost Recon mission from Ghost Recon Wildlands. It's just at the end of it, I'd have to watch a horrible cutscene. Anyway. Uh, we know that one of Dio's close advisors is called Dexter. He may even be the Mantle's spy master, though we have little evidence to go on. Dio was also keeping close company with an advisor known as Gar before we lost contact. Dio and Gar had some unclear connection to a young noblewoman by the name of Vicky. Sue frowns and taps her chin. Beyond this, we know of a figure in, Lord's, in the Lord's security personnel named Ray, but that's about as far as our intel goes. Got it. Anyone else we should look for? That's all we have in terms of names and seemingly of seemingly important officials. Sorry I can't be of more help, Sue says. If you can find Scow while you're there, be sure to see if you can get any more intel off of him, Mikkel says. But remember your mission and maintain your priorities, Sue adds. Uh, got it. You guys need to hit the armory or shall we head on down to the teleporter chamber, Greasel asks. Uh, Alex uh, Connor says, I could use a fresh Meg, or maybe that was Hex, who knows. Uh, Jet says, I could go down... To, I'd, I could be down to see if they have anything special. Maybe a mask that doubles as a shield for the ball. That'd be a big mask. Uh, stopping by the armory, they find that the labs are still very much active, and hardly a moment passes where there isn't a Draelic armory delivery coming to or from the armory. Any mutterings I can overhear from the armory personnel? Jen asks, and she rolls perception and rolls a nat 20 for a, 20, for a total of 27. Uh, Hex shuffles into line amongst the deliveries. Hex, uh, when Dax sees him in line, he waves him over. That's for military shipments. Come on, order up. What do you need? Dax grins from behind the protective screen. I just need about three E-cells. I take it business is booming. And uh, Gent overhears. A few of the Draelic supply carriers couriers are muttering amongst one another. If they're sending supplies to the front, what the hell are we sending back? Have you seen the numbers? It ain't like it used to be. Chances are they're recalling what they can reach distribute among the troops. The other whispers, I think they're trying to take them all back. We're done fighting their war. Now they want their weapons back. One of the people in line gives the, that one a stern glance and the conversation is ended. Uh, Dax gets their order ready. Ah, uh, yeah, something like that. It's busy, all right, I'll tell you that much. He slides the magazines over to Hex. Not sure I'll stay in the war business once this is all over, you know? Gent hears a psst from behind. Uh, Gent tries to inconspicuously look over their shoulder, and it's Alsamasath, leaning over a sort of low cubicle wall around his lab workstation. Gent! Uh, Chantel wasn't sure that uh, they'd recognize Gent, even though they'd seen them in the last episode. I said, uh, he's the one you bought the Super Stim Pack from. Um, it might be that uh, they're so used to him being called uh, Al. Uh, they say, I will head over and bring my squeaky carry-on with me. He waves you over. Get the rest of them if you can. You should all hear this. Connor will sidle over and Hex will rejoin after his transaction. And, uh, Gent says, I guess I can share. And I said, just some background. Al Samasath, a.k.a. Al, is a goblin who currently works in the labs after developing breakthroughs in health potions for the Empok. And now he's bracing, now he's branching into more experimental tech, including the stim packs he showed last time. He was the head of Al's Aces, which was basically the team that preceded yours in Empok's history, during which he basically had to run the whole Empok show himself due to the founder slash administrator Odium's absence. And uh, 
Chantel confirmed. Right, it was his full name that threw me. Yeah, I thought it might be. Makes him sound a lot more like an alien than some old gobbo. Uh, Gent waits for Hex, but while I do, shows uh, Al Samathas trinkets and uh, makes small talk. So uh, I don't want to get uh, too far ahead of myself, but I think you guys should know just because, like, well, you've got pretty decent resources, and I don't know of anybody else that will have really have the money or need for something like this, but I'm, uh, I'm working on something. I asked uh, which trinkets Gent showed off to Alsamasath, and they said, ooh, uh, the Glarador Saleth coin and the items that they got in the tribe's scrap competition show off a bit. Oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, I could tell you some stories about Saleth, let me tell you, uh, but uh, not right now. And uh, Hex nervously asked, this isn't more needles, is it? That reminds me of something. I'd forgotten. When I established that Al Samasath had created stim packs, uh, Alex established that Hexakila does not like needles. And he is like the only person in the party who is like uncomfortable with the idea of like the regular medical checkups that uh, MPOC agents have to do. And the idea of the Stimpaks, which is funny because as the fighter barbarian, like the frontliner for the party, he was always the one who had to get hit with a Stimpak. <laughs> it was just like he wouldn't have to deliver it to himself. He'd have to get the needle after he'd been knocked out from like Gent. Uh, heh. Seems like good merchandise. I like that in, ingenu ingenuitive spirit, he says, examining the contrast entries. And uh, he said, when Hex asks about the needles, uh, 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 Alsamasas says, uh, well, maybe, yeah, probably. Hmm, <laughs> Hex says. See, I've been working all, all these, like, like, studying how the body works, Seeing what's the most effective, most a way to distribute, you know, healing and stuff, right? And uh, Chantel, who is actually an addictions counselor, said, Needles are not always the fastest. Smoking is also fast, depending on the substance. It's not going to be easy. I mean, I'm not quite done figuring it out. I'm not sure how long it'll take, but, like, I was thinking, like, what if I can make your bodies, like, work better, you know? Like, instead of you have to exercise a lot to get strong, maybe you just have to exercise some, and then I can make your body get stronger faster. Or, like, make you think faster. His eyes go wide with the possibilities, getting excited at his own concept. Um, Chantel said, as someone with little strength, Gent would be interested, but Gent also has little constitution. Is there anything in the way of ingredients you may need to get this project off the ground? Yeah, we're more than helpy, happy to help, Connor says. No, I think I can handle the materials and assembly myself. I've got quite a lot to work with here, at least theoretically. What I need is the money to buy all the really rare, expensive equipment and materials. Oh, and I don't mean, like, up front either. I'm basically just saying all this to you to say, like, in the future, I might be able to offer this service, but it will cost a lot, so, you know, don't spend all your money somewhere else. I mean, unless you want to. Your money. I can't stop you. Al sticks his tongue out and looks gormless for a moment. That Ah, right. But I better get back to work. But yeah, just a little preview of what I'm cooking up, you know? <laughs> and he turns his attention back to his workstation. And then I included a little picture of Al Samasath. Who's an old-looking goblin after all his time, you know? Probably gained a few years just managing the Empok by himself. It was tough. And, uh... 
Gent says, we'll keep it in mind, and Hex Weekly offers, very cool. Uh, Alsanus says, bring that Fallout tech. And then I asked if there was anything else off to the teleporter chamber to deploy. Uh, Chantel said, it's the equivalent to Zelda when you see the potion but can't buy it yet, and you just have to keep checking and checking. Uh, they said they'd drop off their things and asked if they should bring the bike with them. Hex and Connor said they were ready to deploy. Um, Chantel said they were probably not going to go with the bike. Uh, Alex suggested, yeah, hard to get the bike through the sewers maybe. And I said also less than stealthy. Um, and Alex says, though, it does give us some cred. And Chantel said, cool, I'm going to leave it. And Alex said, it's a Nightside Eclipse bike, right? And, uh, Chantel said, and yeah, we can head out. Is It's the one that I have from What's-Her-Face. And I said, I don't know if anyone would recognize it as being a Nightside Eclipse so much as being like, what the fuck is that mechanical beast? <laughs> Who's ever seen a motorcycle in Drail? Um, unless they're familiar with tech like Morgar's armored car, in which case they're like, where is the armor and what the fuck? Uh, so they decide to leave it behind. Say, Greasel will teleport you as close to your destination as possible, but due to the enchantments that permeate the forest, that, me that means outside the forest, which in turn means your group will need to travel on foot through the forest for almost two days to reach the city. Still, better than forcing your bike through the brush and alerting everything around of your approach or spooking the population with an aircraft. What does Hex prepare to feed the party on this journey? And, uh... Uh... Chantel said they were going to keep their uh, vacation hat. And I said, Empok Bush Rangers. And Alex says, Hex will prepare fine flat breads with cheese folded up into delicious hand pies. I say it's almost sundown on the second day when you reach the location outlined on your map. You know you're looking for an access point near a drain pipe, though the access point is not the drain pipe itself. Everyone may roll investigate with advantage. Everybody in this in my game tends to roll investigate and perception with advantage because of good old trioptics. Your splinter cell three lens uh, Sam Fisher goggles. Jake gets another nat 20, getting another 27. Gent finds the concealed entry point almost immediately, as though its location were plain as day. Connor also gets a nat 20, but Hex gets a 2. Connor follows along behind Gent, while Hex is still snooping around the drain pipe looking for a door. Uh, Gent motions for Connor not to point it out to Hex. Hex says, are we there yet? The entry point is hidden in the trunk of a tree just a bit past the drain pipe. By entering the hollow trunk, you discover a small set of stone stairs which descends 15 feet below. Is it possible we got some bad info? Hex asks, inspecting the wall around the pipe. Uh, Gent jumps out of the door to scare Hex and then shows him the door. Uh, he also, she, I also said Gent tries to cast their voice to make a spooky sound from the drain pipe at Hex. Jesus Christ, okay, I guess we're here. Vacation is over, Chantel says. And then I said, uh, once you descend the stairs, you find yourself in a long, dark, damp tunnel carved into the earth beneath the forest, which leads from the drain pipe into the city. And I also corrected Alex, who had said, Jesus Christ. I said, Garador's Wrath, or Waves of Poseidon, or Paylor's Light, but not Jesus Christ. And uh, Chantel said, Jesus is the fallen god the humans worship. And Alex said, sorry, Aku, shapeshifting master of darkness. 
I said, uh, yes. I mean, I'm not saying there's no monotheism in Drail, but I really doubt there's been any kind of Christ-like incarnation in its short history, apart from maybe Aura Stormblast Kendor. Uh, Gent wanted to listen for creepy crawlies of any sort being down in the sewers or someone else, and Connor will wait to hear if it's clear before acting a, activating a light spell. Um, Jen offered to roll investigate, but I just said, I mean, they're here, but they're regular type. Nothing that would threaten you guys. The tunnel from the drain pipe goes on for about two miles. It is uneven, hastily dug out, and thus varies in width and height, ranging from 10 to 20 feet wide from section to section, with the ceiling ramping up and down from 20 to 40 feet in various places. Uh, so Gent gives Connor the go-ahead. The light shines in the complete darkness of the tunnel, driving away tiny vermin of various sorts, bugs, rats, and the like. Eventually, they pass from the dank, damp cave into the stinking passages of the city's stewards. Gent says, gross, what time of day is it? With the light reflecting off the walls, you can tell they are quite slick. Immediately, you notice that your footsteps are echoing as you step into the sewer proper. It will be difficult to sneak around here, but on the other hand, you'll be able to hear anything coming quite easily. I established it was just under sundown. Um, Chantel just wanted to be sure they weren't popping up in broad daylight. I said, just so you know, the light spell is not necessary if you guys use your tri-optics night vision. And Alex said, ah, fair point. Similarly, the rebreathers help with the smell. Probably a good idea moving forward. And Connor dismisses his light. And I said, well, it helped light up the wet walls of the sewer, so at least there's that. And uh, they decided to go with stealth, so I said they may roll stealth, though disadvantage is in effect. Gent got a 26. Connor and Hex both got a nat 1. That's two nat 1s from Alex. Gent has a good laugh at that. And I say is in effect rather than with disadvantage because I know it will cancel out, at least in Connor's case, because of his boots of Elvenkind. However, even though Connor's just rolling normally, ah well, splish splash. <laughs> An errant boot quickly discovers that the water in these sewers is about three feet deep, pooling primarily in a trench that runs through the center of the passages. Uh, and then Jen, in reference to Connor, said, I forgot about Stompy McStomperson. <laughs> Uh, can I get the stealth roll from Connor, but just normal, i.e. without disadvantage or advantage? And he got a 19, so that's a lot better than one. So I established, okay, so it was Hex that stepped in the gross water. Hex makes a constitution save, and then I say, no, wait a minute. Hex, you're immune to this. P of P against P. What does that mean, McGill? It means you really gotta go P. Periapt of proof against poison. The item hey. with no attunement that does not acquire attunement that you can use to make you immune to poison. And Hex is wearing it, so when he steps into the gross sewer water, he doesn't have to save versus gross sewer water. I say, so Hex accidentally steps in some very unsanitary sewer water, making a splishy splash, but luckily he's the one in the party who is unaffected by such conditions. Eventually, they come to a large intersection of sewers. Everyone rolls stealth again. Connor and Gent just regular. Hex with disadvantage unless he has an item that grants advantage on stealth. So Gent rolled a 35. Connor rolled a 5. And Hex rolled a, a 19. And then I asked everyone to roll perception with advantage. But then we established that Hex did have something that granted advantage on stealth because he had the cloak of the bat. Um, there was some uncertainty about that, but then we established Hex has the Cloak of the Bat, Connor has the Cloak of Displacement, and Gent has the Cape of the Mountebank. 
So that's what we got wearing on our backs. So uh, Hex gets a 20 rolling stealth regularly because it is dim light in the sewer, and that is an effect from the uh, bats. Um, and I said, okay, this makes sense more or less. Basically, everyone but Connor realizes there is a massive swarm of rats coming from up ahead. Uh, Connor got a four on the perception roll. Uh, Chantel got 17. Uh, the rats are heading right for Connor. And uh, I said, now is the time for initiative. Hex was up first. Up ahead, he saw rats pouring into the passage from all ends of the intersection. Connor was up ahead. The first thing the rats will hit in their path down this passage toward the group. Hex said, gather together. We need to keep quiet. And then he prepared an action to activate the cube of force once everyone's close enough. Do we remember the cube of force, McGill? Cube of force, again, tickles the brain, but I can't think of exactly what it does. You got a little cube, and it's got a button on either on each face of it. And depending which face uh, button you press, it creates a cube around you of force that like um, keeps out different things depending on which button you press. So you can make a, a cube that only keeps out magic. You can make a cube that keeps out anything physical, like that keeps out physical objects but not like air for example so you can make it like a room basically um basically you create it's like you create a cube force field around yourself um i established gent was already in range to be protected by the cube of force so i asked if there was anything they wanted to do and they said to ready in action to uh activate and hit something with their sun blade if the cube of force failed for some reason presumably the rat swarm uh, when it gets into range. And I said, uh, this makes sense. Writing this action, it will not go off if the cube is up. Uh, or actually, it will because the sword is non-living matter. So, technically, the sword could poke through the cube, but not the rats. Like, basically, they're going to do the side of the cube that makes it so that any non-living matter can pass through the cube, but living matter can't. So... Rats can't get through the cube, but they can still sweep out of the cube with the sun blade to attack the rats and make them go away. Uh, the rats scurry over and around Connor, who looks to Hex with an expression of great concern. It's Connor's turn. He's surrounded by rats. He did not prepare the correct spells for today, he says. Rats dripping in gross, slimy sewer water, I specified. And Connor target the entire party with etherealness and level 9 spell slot. And we disappear from the mortal plane. And Chantel said, what the fuck? Uh, and I said, man, no clip. Uh, Alex said, just to clarify, Gent feels real duckin' weird as her vision fades to shades of gray out to a range of 60 feet. You squint as you notice on the wall, no, through the walls, you can see ghostly shapes moving around outside, moving around the outside of the pipe. Then with a start, you realize your feet have drifted th through the floor. I say, uh, you have to be within 10 feet of Connor to get the benefits of this, though, unfortunately. And he says, oh, shit. Then he casts it on himself, at least. Seventh level spell slot down, then. I say, so lower slot. Got it. And he floats up to the roof. And uh, so the readied action doesn't go off. So Connor basically ghosts. Yeah, literally just ghosts. So next up is Hexakila with a ton of very confused rats in front of him. And he uses the cube of force. And uh, so basically what happens here is um, they put the cube of force up 
and then the rats can't get through it. Connor just floats up through the roof like a ghost from casting etherealness. So like they don't fight the Connor the, the rats really. They just like make it so the rats like can't interact with them at all. Um, I asked Gent, like, do you want to bother killing some rats from within the safety of your new shield cube, or did you just let them get bored and moved on? And they said, let them get bored and move on. And I'm like, yeah, I think the rats are just going to get frustrated and continue to swarm down the sewer tunnel, leaving you guys alone at the intersection. Because they would, like, get to the cube of force and, like, jump at them and, like, try and scratch and bite at the cube of force. But once they can't get through, they just leave. Uh, so, encounter solved. Uh, Chantel says, I want to pull a Gandalf and see if I can smell which way in the intersection is cleaner. Connor, uh, or Hex said, Connor, I don't know if you can hear me, but meet us up ahead. And I asked Chantel to roll perception with advantage. They got a 24. And I said, something in the direction of the intersection reeks of death. Something appears to be floating in the middle of the intersection's putrid waters. And, uh, Chantel said, oh shit, I will whisper to Hex. And Hex says, great, corpses. That's Connor's bit. He grimaces. Well, this protection won't last forever. Let's move up. And that's another thing. The person holding the cube, the cube, like the force field will move with the holder of the cube. So if you hold the cube and walk forward, you keep the force field on you. Um, I had uh, Hex make a perception check with advantage and Hex sardonically mentioned at least we can sneak without him in reference to the fact that connor's constantly failing his uh constantly the only person failing his stealth save while everybody else is doing great and i say whatever it is it doesn't appear to be moving it might for once be the normal kind of corpse gent between this and the smell <laughs> you're pretty certain this is just a corpse floating face down in the water of the intersection okay oh wait maybe it's that guy's partner Clearly, his head didn't stay above water. Fucking put the sunglasses on for that one, gent. Do you get it? Because they were like, that agent had been keeping his head above water. Then they find him face yeah. down in the sewer. Clearly, his head didn't stay yeah. above water. Yeah! <laughs> and then said, do I recognize any markings or insignias on the corpse? Pulling the body over to you, you're able to drag it out of the water and turn it over for examination. Sure enough, it looks like this is the it looks like this is the missing Mpox scout. You may roll medicine, history, or investigate on the body. And Chantel also carefully checks the pockets. And I say within the pockets, you find 100 gold pieces each and trioptics. So that's an obvious indicator of an Mpox uh, operative. Um, Gent rolls for. Uh, investigate. Connor rolls medicine, uh, except he's a ghost. Uh, Hex gets a five for history. Connor gets a seven for medicine. Chantel gets a 17 for investigate. And uh, Chantel finds a pair of reading glasses with a brass frame and smoky lenses. And she shotguns those glasses, she says. Uh, and I say, Gent, judging by their attire, this agent must have been undercover. Their style of dress is unfamiliar to you, suggesting it's the fashion of the upper class within the mantle. Blending in among them was likely how Agent Ska stayed alive and got intel as long as he did. Um, and so Gent said, looks like not only do we need to worry about how to blend in with these guys, but most likely they will know that they are being infiltrated and are likely to be distrusting. 
And it said, investigating the body, you discover claw marks suggesting something attacked Ska with claws. Examining the body in full, you determine that he also suffered a pretty serious fall around this time. Anyone could try to roll medicine to try and get more info, although Connor already has. Chantel got, or Gent got a 25 and Hex got a 14. And I said, Gent and Hex, consulting with each other after the examination is complete, come to a few conclusions, come to a few simple conclusions. Human male, apparent time of death seems to match the time frame given by the MPOC, and he has many broken bones. Having examined the body, everyone may roll perception with advantage to check out the surrounding area for more clues. Um, Alex asked if the scratches look potentially rat-sized or did it seem like something, something bigger got at him. Chantel rolled 21 on the perception check, and I said, it seems like something bigger before the rats, before the fall and the break, broken bones, you suspect, or around that time. X got 23, Kong got a 19. I said, having concluded that the body suffered a fall, you all come to the same conclusion and subsequent observation. There's a hole in the ceiling above this intersection about 30 feet up. It is only about one foot wide. It is dark and difficult to see inside. And uh, this was about the time we were going to wrap up. But um, Chantel said, do we uh, hear anything from the whole like foot traffic or voices? I said, none. And uh, Hex says, so someone caught him, killed him, then stuffed his body through here. Seems like a lot of work to cover up a spy dying. And Gent said, if they knew if he was spying. And I said, does Connor go on up? He's basically in the perfect position to do so. And uh, Gent suggested, maybe you just pissed off the wrong goon. And Connor drifted up to see what's within 60 feet of that drain. Connor slipped up through the hole like a ghost, emerging through a fixed hatch into what appears to be a waste shaft connecting to a small stable. He says, gross, are there horses here? And I let Connor rule perception or advantage with or perception or investigation with advantage. Uh, he got a 14. I said there are some livestock housed here in the pens, but something else caught, catches Connor's attention. It appears someone has attempted to hide a crate in amongst a pile of hay in the corner of the stable. Everyone got a bonus of XP, and then we broke there. Aha, but I'll tell you right. what is basically um, I while I really like the curveball of the etherealness. Do you like realize what has happened here? What what scene they are like parsing out with their mystery investigation skills here? No, I I was I was actually wondering if there was going to be some big like spider monster or something waiting to ambush them. In so the there's hole. a hole in the ceiling of the sewers, and they think that this guy got pushed yeah. through. Basically, someone killed this guy, broke all his bones, crumpled it up, and flushed him down the toilet. Basically. Oh, he was geez. stuffed down a, like when a waste shaft like he was stuffed down an outhouse in a stable oh man what a way to now, go thankfully connor's a freaking toilet ghost right now literally poking his head up out of the <laughs> toilet like huh, what's going on in here <laughs> any other questions or comments about that uh that session Nah, man. I like the no clip. I'm curious to see how it is used. I like how forward. the only combat encounter was with the swarms of rats, and then they just like bypassed it. 
Yeah, I mean, you made the the crack about the CSI Miami one-liner, but the the whole investigation thing was all very yeah, CSI. Yeah, it's true. They really used their visual calculus using the parlance mm -hmm. of uh, Disco Elysium. Classic, classic uh, stuff, you know? You get sent on an mission, you find an agent who gone missing and he was dead, and uh, you got to investigate to see what the heck happened, and now they're like, uh-oh. It looks like someone knows they're being infiltrated. Time to go up the, the toilet. The thing is, it looks like the authorities didn't dispose of this, or else they would have they wouldn't have had to hide the body, right? Mm-hmm. We'll see what's in that crate up in the stable. Ready to finish off Crawley the Crouch? Yeah, can. Well, there are four steps left, but two of them are going to be a breeze. And I'll, I'll even skip ahead a little and say that the last step we've already done. It's your background. It's your character's motivations. We already know all that stuff. So background, I say it's covered. All right. Next we, next we do the, the secondary statistics. And these are a lot like... You know are, what? I, I want to just quickly like... go over background. So your character came from somewhere, didn't okay. it? Okay. This is the part where you come up with an interesting and creative backstory. Where does your character come from? Uh, where does he come from? He's probably, like, in his mind, he probably comes from one of the oldest Croach cities. The descendant of a long and important Croach line. Yeah, what are his motivations? We've established that. He wants to establish that Croach were the first to rise in supremacy from the flush. Uh, why does it do what it does uh, to prove that? Uh, who loves it and who doesn't love? Uh, he loves, he he loves Cro he loves the Croach race, but in a kind of like toxic nationalist way. I think like the, the definitely the impression yeah. I got. Uh, what so to like speak. like real chest thumping pro yeah, Croach. Yeah, Croach Jingo, the Croach Jingoist. <laughs> what so to speak makes it tick? I think we've we've covered it now. I just wanted to establish that exactly, like, yeah. the place he was from is probably like a big Croach city. Yeah, but we had, we we mostly covered this stuff yeah. already. So so your secondary statistics these are calculated a lot like uh, they 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 remind me of like fortitude, reflex, and will from D and D third edition. Um, so charisma is how likable your character is. It's added to your persuasion and streetwise roles. Your charisma modifier is zero, unless modified by edges or hindrances, which we're going to do. So for now, your charisma is zero. Your pace is basically your speed. It's, uh, it's six for most characters. It can be altered by edges and hindrances. Parry is equal to two plus half your fighting. And then toughness is equal to two plus half your vigor. So half my fighting is D2, or I guess is it rounded up? Is it just B1? Uh, I guess it's one, yeah. Like I, I, Yeah, I guess because the dice are determined by the number I put in it, right? So half of yeah. one, in or, or no, half of two in every case. Or, or no, sorry, half of two in the case of vigor so one plus one because i'm a crouch right so my toughness is four i think that's right uh pace is six 
six inches. And your charisma, yeah, and your charisma's zero, but that might change. Well, I, I won't do that one yet. And parry, I guess, is going to be three because my fighting is D4. It's two plus half your fighting, right? Yeah. Okay. So that's your secondary stats taken care of. Now your special abilities, and this is where we talk about hindrances and edges. So to recap, here's how they work. This is uh, straight from the Savage Worlds core rulebook. Great heroes are far more than a collection of skills and attributes. Their unique gifts, special powers, and tragic flaws are what truly make them interesting. Characters can take special abilities, edges, by balancing them out with character flaws, hindrances. So you have to start with a hindrance. You can take one major hindrance and two minor hindrances to start out. A major hindrance is worth two points, and a minor hindrance is worth one point. And then as noted in the character flowchart, for two hindrance points, you can raise an attribute one die type or choose an edge. For one hindrance point, you can gain a skill point or double the amount of clams that your character starts Man, with. Man, you start so with 500, you... so that's quite a... Yeah, you could have a thousand clams. So here is a list of all the hindrances that are available to you, and they're also the ones in the core uh, lowlife rulebook. Let me, I believe they start on page 31. Yeah. Um, all right, right off the bat, I'm seeing arrogant as a, my, as a major one. Must humiliate opponent, challenge the leader. I think this guy's arrogant. Do you want the, the full description yeah, on that? Uh, let me see here. Arrogant is page 14 of Savage Worlds. So for a, for a major hindrance, I can take an edge, right? Uh, correct. So for my edge, I am going to take Holy Roller. Well, I don't know what that's all about. For some reason in the core rulebook, Arrogant isn't listed, but it's right there. All right. Well, I mean, it says what it is, so and I'm, I'm definitely that. Basically, I can't keep my mouth shut. I'm always picking fights with the bigger guy because I'm like, ah, Croaches are super superior anyway. Um, For Holy Roller, so... Holy Rollers are religious fanatics. Whether a Jesel freak, a Burgolzarian, a, a Jemima's witness, or a follower of any of Oith's other bizarre faiths, this guy takes it way too far. So far does he take it, in <laughs> fact, that he is actually able to manifest magical powers and abilities. Whether these gifts are granted by the providence of an almighty being or harnessed by the power of self-delusion, there's no denying the might of a Holy Roller's faith. Hell yeah. So you're doing one major hindrance and one edge. Are you doing any minor hindrances for additional abilities? Um, you, you were thinking illiterate, right? Ooh, that's a minor that's hindrance. Right. Uh, illiterate is a minor hindrance. Let's go with that. 
so for a minor hindrance, I can raise a skill, right? Or you can double your amount of starting clams. Let's raise a skill because they're. Uh, you know what? Let's uh, let's take that pointing guts that I passed on. All right. So he's he's brave. He's pretty brave. And are you taking any other minor hindrance? Uh, let's see. Hindrances. Minor. So there's also. Is he also is he also stubborn? Stubborn as well. I was going to uh, say big mouth, unable to keep a secret, blabs at the worst time. On page fifteen. Sure. Yeah. Oh man, I'm seeing here on the sidebar for this Savage Worlds fan site. There's uh, Pirates of the Spanish Main, which uh, was uh, they had a Wiz Kids game of that that my brother used to play in the tournaments at. Huh. Th those ones they came out in little punch out cards that you then like build the ships out of like little card pieces out of like plastic cards. Oh, like they yeah. slot together. Neat. Yeah, so you'd buy like a booster pack of cards and then punch them out and then build your little ships. So is Big Mouth in the in your copy of the rules? It's not, and uh, it's this is totally because there are like a bunch of different like revised and errated right. editions. So uh, I, I see here it's referring to SWEX. That's probably Savage Worlds Explorers Edition. I'm just looking at the first edition. Right. Rulebook. So I took Big Mouth, and then that also will give me the ability to double my. Well, you you could always you could take back that point from uh guts and buy another edge if you wanted or raise an attribute Ooh, combine right. those two minor hindrance points no i think i'm gonna take another skill i think i'm gonna take tracking okay. because i didn't take that one um yeah tracking awesome so those are your special abilities and that brings us to the last thing you need to fill in which is your stuff. We're not going to send you out into the world naked and unarmed, and though you can be naked if you want to be. Your character gets 500 clams with which to trade for supplies, clothing, food, and weapons. Spend them wisely. I like how it says spend them wisely, grasshopper, but you're a crouch. Um, and a note is that clam is like a generic term that applies to any crappy little piece of junk that the people of Oith use for trade. So... You know, a button, a shiny rock, a scale from a monster, a bivalve mollusk, an old sock, anything at all. It's just sort of the catch-all as clams. And if you go to... Page 50. I'm uh, already there. Page 50. You got it. There's the gear. And uh, here's something cool that I like about this, Tom. So, you know, the the early on in the gear chapter, you have a pretty typical-looking... Uh, gear chart like you might find in a D&D source book where it's uh, it's just, you know, like you want to buy a hammer, it costs you 10 clams. You want to buy manacles, it costs you 20 clams. That's not what interests me, though. Uh, if you scroll down to page 57, there is Wacky Wongo's Wondrous yeah, Weapon I'm Workshop. Yeah, I'm already there. I'm, I've been looking at it. Because I was thinking, like, you specified you want a bug sprayer yep. and uh, you want a rolled-up newspaper or magazine. 
And how do you calculate those as weapons? Well, this is perfect, man. Why isn't why isn't every RPG weapon system built like this? You just buy the stuff you want it to do. So damage, 1d4, it costs you 50 clams. That's genius. Why can't I why can't why don't we just do this with D&D, right? Like who cares if it's a mace or if it's a a sword or whatever? If I want some crazy cool like I want uh, a giant uh hook blade, well, all I got to do, I don't have to find up the specific stats for a hook blade. I can just say, well, I want it to do 1d6, so that's 70 clams. Um and uh, maybe my damage, my melee damage is strength plus one. So, you know, I'll spend spend an additional 25 there. Restrictions, there's some crappy materials, there's some perks down here. It's going to be armor penetrating. That's an, ad- an additional 50 clams. I love this. It's just like a menu to make your yeah, own weapon. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, it's, it's similar to what you were talking about with the powers and magic for savage worlds, but this applies it to weapons in a, in a really neat way. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to take a newspaper, which I'm going to say is strength plus three. So that costs me a hundred clams and requires my minimum strength of, uh, uh, D six, D six, uh, same thing with the bug swatter strength plus three, a hundred clams. I'm going to say that the, um, bug sprayer, is a 1d6 weapon. 1d6, uh, but it's going to be two-handed, um, which is going to reduce the cost by 20%. Um, it is going to ignore shield, so it is a hun- it's an extra 100 clams. Um Yeah, I'm going to say that'll be 170 clams minus 20%. I'm not sure what that comes out to. Minus, sorry, you have a discount of... uh... Apparently it's 136. 170 minus 20%. So, where's uh, shield? Because the spray doesn't... You can't shield yourself from the spray. The slow spray penetrates the mm-hmm. shield. Uh, yeah, so that'll be my weapons. And then... Beyond that, I mean, uh, I'm probably going to want, want most of these things that are in uh, the items. I like how I can get croach moltings for one clam each. A croach molting literally basically is a clam, <laughs> as is a stick of yep. chalk, as is a shiny rock, as is a torch. Um, man. Croach moltings. You know, I would personally, as the boss, I would rule that a croach can just get their croach moltings for I free. I mean, there's grub and grog, poo, croaches love it, free to a good home. Weight varies. 
<laughs> I like how I can buy livestock and such, and I don't even know what it is. Like, I could get a giggity or an oily boyd or a pygmy slog or a stomp. I like... Yeah, what the heck are those? I like how those? the illustration covers up some of the, uh, like, covers up the tack and harness options. Uh, like, a slog saddle is 50 clams and weighs 10, but beyond that, then the illustration sort of covers it up. It's all question marks, and it says, one of those things that you can't read about because there's too much crap in the way for you to see it. <laughs> There's so much, like, the design of this. We've said it before, but it really is one of my favorite things about it. I will say that weapons menu is probably my favorite thing, mechanically speaking, that we've come across so far. That thing's just cool. I feel like everything beyond the weapons is, like, pretty... Uh... Like, pretty, pretty basic. It's just, like, a backpack... Yeah, like it, like you know. Yeah, we don't need to go so much. Into I'm a little, dis I'm a little disappointed that they don't have so a similar system to the weapons generation system, but for just gear, you know. Like if you're going to be that sort of free flowing, just do it for gear too. Why not? Night at a crappy end. Night at a decent end. Night at a good end. I like. Um... Oh, yeah, a bag of circus peanuts. <laughs> Uh, circus peanuts. Uh, and uh, there's there's crazy stuff. We got a sample weird device. It's a scarecrow. It's a decoy. Oh man, servants and services. I can buy good loving. I can buy bad loving. My God. <laughs> You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to find I'm I'm going to give I'm going to have all the stuff that the original GI Joe action soldier had. So I'm going to have army clothes. Does it specify I know it specifies different types of clothes. Um we just call that decent clothing. It's not necessarily snazzy, but it's decent maybe. Sounds fair uh, to me. Oh man, he didn't come with nothing. Never mind. <laughs> I was uh, I was thinking differently. I was thinking of all the accessory packs. So whatever, you know, I get a backpack, I get a blanket, like a sleeping bag or something. Um, ooh, lock picking tools are expensive. I'll probably get that, um, which wouldn't leave me too much money actually afterwards. Uh, but still. Um, yeah, I think I've I think I've got enough to like get decent clothing and then have all the basic like adventuring gear I need. Then that's it. Croach uh Croach the creepy feet Croach cro ah, god. Crawley, the creepy freak oldster Croach is complete. The illiterate, big mouth, arrogant, holy roller. You know what we need to pick though is then we need to figure out what uh religion he is. Because it lists options. It's true. It's not an. It's not an essential part of character creation. But it's an though. essential part of being a holy roller. So we can cover that next time. Sure. Yeah.
because we're not we're not done with low life just yet. I still got more I want to talk about with this thing. We haven't even gotten to the the key locations of a Yeah, that's gonna be important for figuring out what uh you know what what where I'm from. Backpack ten clams, sleeping bag ten clams. Uh, shovel ten clams. Hell yeah. Lock picking tools, 100 clams. So then I've got, like, after that, it's 466. So I've got 44 clams left after I get the backpack, the sleeping bag, the shovel, the lock picking tools, and all my weapons. If there's anything else I should be getting in there, ooh, a water skin for sure. That's another ten. So that now I'm down to thirty, thirty-four clams. Maybe really I was, shelling maybe out those I was clams. Wrong. Decent clothing costs twenty. It's because of the lock picking tools, really. That and all the weapons. So now I'm at uh, fourteen clams, man. I can't even afford bad loving at this point. I guess I better <laughs> slow my roll at this point. Although I uh, I should probably get a rope or something. Ten foot pole. Uh, I'm going to get the rope. It's also ten clams. So now I'm down to four clams. I can't afford anything at that point. And they're, they're, all, they're all roach moltings. Yeah, probably. Oh, I could afford two crappy meals. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep it at. <laughs> You're I'm not gonna, gonna buy get em? the rope. <laughs> I'm not gonna get the rope. I'm gonna stay at fourteen, and that way I can afford seven crappy meals before I'm broke. Because that, <laughs> that's good. That gives I like me that. a week of shitty. Well, I, I am a croach, so actually it doesn't matter. I can just eat poo. <laughs> I can literally yeah, eat anything. Yeah, you just eat anything. So actually, I'm not on the same, uh, the you know, I guess a night in a crappy inn. That's more important. So yeah, I should definitely keep there the, you go. the 14 uh, so that I can afford two nights in a crappy inn before I get into, you know, homeless territory, unhoused croach territory. Not that that'll be a huge problem for me, but, you know. All right. Is that the end of our episode? That's it. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, see when we post new episodes or follow us, check us out on Facebook, Comparing Campaign on Facebook. Uh, if you want to see our supplemental materials, see pictures of all this nonsense we're talking about, or links and whatnot, check us out on comparingcampaign.wordpress.com. If... Uh, you want to hear about how other people rose to supremacy after the flush? You talk to not me. 